Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is November the 18th, 2021. I'm talking to you, as always, from San Francisco, where our, I hope at least our elections are honest. I'm sure they're not. I'm sure there's corruption even in the heart of uh, democratic Northern California. Uh, certainly, the credibility, the legitimacy of the American electoral system uh, is being continually challenged one way or the other. Uh, one headline today is that one of the January 6th defendants, the guy who showed up in a strange hairy uniform, uh, was sentenced to 14 months, 41 months for, uh, I guess, demonstrating illegally uh, about the supposed illegality of the last presidential election. Uh, we have some news today that Eric Trump, perhaps not the most honest of people, told Chris Christie, again, not perhaps either a particularly honest figure, that Donald Trump had evidence of mass vo voter fraud in that election. I'm not sure if that's ever come out. Uh, meanwhile, in Nevada, a man who claimed to have evidence of election fraud pleads guilty to voting twice. Surprise, surprise. Often it's the people who claim fraud are indeed the most fraudulent. Uh, Trump endorses a West Michigan man, another headline today, uh, citing, and again, at least this newspaper uses the word unfounded, voter fraud. But there is a crisis in America when it comes to the credibility of its democratic system. New York Times um, reports uh, on a European study suggesting that much of the world's decline in democratic systems is because of the U.S. and its allies. I'm quoting it here. Uh, the United States and its allies accounted for a significantly outsized share of global democratic backsliding in the last decade. And of course, much of that backsliding is associated with election fraud. Uh, today, we're talking about, specifically about election fraud. There's an interesting new book out about a fraud in North Carolina called The Vote Collectors, the true story of the scamsters, politicians, and preachers behind the nation's greatest electoral fraud. It's by um, two uh, local figures, uh, Michael Graff and Nick Oxner. Nick... Um, is a television reporter as his day job, and I'm thrilled that he's joining us today to talk about the vote collectors from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Nick, welcome. Um, before we get on to the book and the corrupt nature of the electoral system, or, or, or at least one of the uh, the voting uh, narratives in, in North Carolina, I'd like your take on the current state of democracy in America, particularly when it comes to the honesty of the electoral system? I think it's fragile. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. And I don't think that's hyperbole. And as our book illustrates, uh, democracy in the United States has more or less always been fragile. And we, you know, our book traces back 
the history of, of politics in Eastern North Carolina all the way to post-Reconstruction in 1865 through 2018. And what we see is time and again, there are these inflection points in the United States where democracy is either, the, the great experiment is either going to work and people are going to rise up to do what's necessary to preserve our democratic system of government, or it's not, and the bad forces are going to win out. Um, I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say we might be looking at one of those situations now, and I hope that our book can serve as a roadmap on what happens if people don't jump in and start taking measures to preserve the, the system of government we have. Your book, uh, The Vote Collectors, is very local. Tip O'Neill, of course, famously said, all politics in America, I'm not sure I'm quoting him exactly, but he said all politics is local. Your book um, is about North Carolina's ninth congressional district. Um, for people watching, here we have uh, a map of this uh, district, particularly in the context of the United States. I guess it's in the eastern central part of the United States. And of course, the ninth district is in the southern part of North Carolina. T uh, your book does a nice job describing this place. Um, it conforms to many of the stereotypes, I guess, of the forgotten parts of America. Describe this ninth district for me, Nick. Yeah, certainly. So it's interesting. If you look at that map, it runs on the left, uh, starts in Mecklenburg County there next to the big number 12. That's the next district over the 12th district. And that's Charlotte. And that's where I'm sitting. And then Bladen County is all the way on the right, on the upper right, basically, um, near the, the seven. And so it's, you know, it spans about two hours or so across this kind of vast forgotten stretch of North Carolina, right on the Southern border with South Carolina. And in the span of an hour and a half or two hours, you drive down highway 74 that takes you from Charlotte, takes you over across I-95 in, uh, into Bladen County and Charlotte metropolitan, a banking center, Innovative. A lot of uh, there's a there's a direct a daily flight I know from uh, Charlotte to uh, London and, and other yeah. parts of Europe. It's a hub for uh, hub for American Airlines. That's right. Our Lufthansa flights just resumed back to Germany. It was in the headlines this past week. Uh, but anyways, a hub of business, right? Growing. We got a lot of good things going on here in, in Charlotte, uh, Bladen County on the other end of the district, and its neighboring counties less so. Bladen County's population declined from about 35,000 people in 2010 to about 30,000 people uh, in the latest census in 2020. The people, the, log the largest employer in Bladen County uh, is a hog slaughtering operation. Yeah, I was taken with that, uh, Nick. Um, yesterday, I interviewed very different kind of book, very different kind of conversation, the uh, iconic um, science fictional writer Neil Stevenson. He has a new book out, Termination Shock, and it begins with um, uh, a gang, I'm sure, if that's the right word, of feral pigs eating a human, uh, a child. And of course, it speaks of our environmental crisis, hogs out of control, essentially. You note in the book that there are, uh, in, in, in the eastern part of um, the Ninth District, there are 29 hogs for each person so it's it's incredibly rural right quintessentially rural america yes absolutely and again smithfield foods the world's largest hog slaughtering operation is 
the main employer in Bladen County and in through much of this region. Um, and it's also interesting to note that Bladen County is extremely large in land mass. It's more than 800 square miles from point to point. And so you've got 30,000 people spread across all this land and it feels, can feel at times desolate, certainly rural. Uh, and they've been impacted by poverty. You know, the median household income, $30,000 or so. Uh, the opioid epidemic has hit them particularly right, hard. So it, it sort of fits into all these stereotypes, poverty, opioid, um, and we'll talk more about the racial divide. I'm just curious, uh, and this isn't the heart of your book, but in terms of Stevenson's book, how is global warming affecting this part of uh, North Carolina? Yeah, an awful lot. Uh, so in 2016, Hurricane Matthew came through and flooded Bladen County and other parts of eastern North Carolina, a massive, devastating hurricane that that at the time forecasters called a 500 year flood. And then two years later, Hurricane Florence came through and and dumped a massive amount of water and caused major flooding in Bladen County. And that was a 500 year flood. And so people have were forced from their homes. Uh, hurricane recovery in, in North Carolina was very slow, is still very slow. And to the extent to the point that people were still not back in their homes from the 2016 hurricane by the time the 2018 hurricane hit. Um, and, and so into all of that, you have a group of people who feel forgotten. They feel forgotten because they didn't get any help to rebuild their homes after the hurricanes. They feel forgotten because they're struggling to find work. They feel forgotten like their politicians and public leaders aren't coming down to help them at all. And that starts to breed a distrust of democracy and a distrust of the systems that, in theory, are supposed to be helping uh, serve and protect the citizens. And into all this... Um comes a man who might have walked in some ways out of a Neil Stevenson book or, or perhaps another more gothic piece of Southern fiction, a man called McCray Dowless, who um, is uh, the anti-hero, I guess, of the book. Um, he even has a, 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 a name that, um, that uh, a Southern Gothic writer may have invented. McCray Dowless, tell me about this man and, and why he's the heart of your story. Yeah, so McCray is a political operative in Bladen County or was a political operative in Bladen County maybe until 2018 and through 2018. Um, and he's, he's a guy, he's a convicted felon. He was convicted in the early 1990s of insurance fraud. And when he got out of prison, serving his prison sentence from that conviction, he decided he felt wronged, like he'd been more vigorously prosecuted than he should have been from the local district attorney there in that case. And he decided the best way to get even with the district attorney was to try to get him out of office. And so that launched his interest and career in, in politics. And so interestingly, in that part of the world, until very recently, everyone was a Democrat. McCray was a Democrat, even though in 2018, uh, he's infamous uh, now. Was that, um, Nick, because of the historic uh, legacy of, of the Democrats and slavery and the Civil War, or were there other reasons for it? Yeah, I mean, history, generally speaking, I, I'm, I'm, I should say I'm not from Bladen County, but I'm from 30 minutes down the road in a little town called Hope Mills near Fort Bragg. And, you know, people are just we're just Democrats down in that part of the world. Uh, you know, their daddy was a Democrat. Their daddy's daddy was a Democrat. and They couldn't imagine voting any other way. Um, and we get into the book, all the political, all the historical and political reasons why that might be. 
Um, so he decides he's going to get into politics and he starts working with an organization ca called the Bladen County Improvement Association, which was a black political action committee uh, in Bladen County formed in the 1980s to try to help black people get some representation uh, in local government. And he's McRae's a white guy. He starts working with them, learns from them. And uh, by about 2010, uh, the Black Political Action Committee, the Improvement Association, gets enough power that they elect a black man. To yeah, this sheriff. is uh, this is uh, ben Benston. Uh, yes, Francis Benston. In twenty uh, in twenty ten. So here we Benston. for people only listening, uh, we have a, a picture of the first, uh, I guess, black sheriff to be elected in 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 Bladen, North Carolina. That's right, and it was a big deal, huge deal, and that. After the election of Prentice Benston to sheriff in Bladen County in 2010, you started seeing these white Democrats start to join the Republican Party. Uh, it, it caused a fracture in, in the county. I mean, for decades, black people have been amassing political power slowly uh, through their organizing. Um, but electing a sheriff in Bladen County is the most powerful thing you can do. Um, and so we saw that start to be the dividing uh, and, line. And why? Is it because many whites are just racist or was there something more complicated about this, this, um, this shift of whites from the Democratic Party to the Republicans after the election of a black man? No, I, it, basically, there's there's long been a history of, of tension between white people and black people in Bladen County. Yeah, you know, in this, the Wilmington insurrection of 1898, uh, also known as the Wilmington Massacre. We've had a number of shows about these kind of public lynchings or perhaps the the equivalent of race riots. Uh, we did the one in Tulsa. We've done one in Arkansas. I guess every one of these southern states uh, have had their own race riots white this race one is, riots at, at the end of the 19th century the wilmington massacre is slightly different because it was actually a coup um white people overthrew the democratically elected black government that was running wilmington wilmington at the time at the end of the 1800s was a one of the largest cities on the east coast was a center and a hub of black business and black culture and black power um, so in a way like tulsa i mean equivalent to tulsa sure yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um and basically, uh, a bunch of white people decided they didn't want to, to, you know, not have power anymore. And they literally overthrew the black led government and ran a lot of black people out of Wilmington, almost all black people out of. Wilmington. Is there a direct uh, narrative link between the Wilmington insurrection of 1898 and this radical reaction to the election of Benson or a is it just coincidental? It's the same overtones. It's the same overtones. White people and black people fighting for power in this part of the world. Um, and when you go to Bladen County today, one of the first things you'll be struck by is the way race and that tension of race still permeates through everything. I mean, white people refer, oh, that black guy over there. Black people say, oh, that white guy. I mean, that is still very prevalent. You know, black people live in one part of the county. White people live in the other parts of the county. Still very, very prevalent. Nick, Nick, before we get to the the meat of the story, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about race uh, in America. Uh, Op-ed today in the Post are saying that Trump's rage at Georgia Republicans should unsettle all of us, much of it with racist undertones, of course. 
There's a Charlottesville trial, so many things going on at the same time, simultaneously, according to the Post, jurors are learning to decode the secret slang of white supremacists. Much of this is, of course, bound up, much of this racism in electoral reform law, which is the core of your book. Uh, earlier this year, the Georgia governor, Kemp, signs uh, the GOP election bill, um, and he just responded to Biden, who claimed that this was a return to Jim Crow, uh, saying that it isn't. Um, is much of this movement across the South, not just in North Carolina, about electoral reform, is it essentially a return to the Wilmington insurrection of 1898? Well, and the lead up to that and what followed that, you could certainly draw some parallels. One of the most fascinating things that we uncovered in reporting this book is the last black man to serve in Congress before the Jim Crow era is a guy named George Henry White. And yeah, he represented fascinating. The North Carolina 2nd Congressional District, known as the Black 2nd, because there was the makeup of the district, a black person could get elected from that seat. And he was the last black person to serve in Congress before Jim Crow, the Jim Crow era. And he, he left office. He lost the, the 1900 election after the Wilmington massacre. He left office in early 1901. And he stood uh, and, and he lost his seat because of the grandfather clause and because of literacy tests. And he stood on the floor of the House in one of his last speeches and said, Phoenix-like, we will rise from the ashes and return to power. He was talking about black people. Um, and he was so disgusted with what had happened and, and how he had been treated in North Carolina. He left North Carolina. He um, wrote and gave an address after leaving Congress that said, may God damn North Carolina, the place of my birth. And he went to New Jersey and he founded a town in New Jersey. Interestingly, uh, George Henry White's family uh, went on the Spalding family or his descendants. They still hold a lot of land. They were some of the first black landowners in Bladen County, but they moved to Durham. North Carolina, which is near Raleigh in the Research Triangle Park, and they established a Black Wall Street in Durham. And they also, C.C. Spaulding, uh, only a generation or so removed from George Henry White, helped found a, the first Black Political Action Committee in North Carolina, known then as the Durham Committee for Negro Affairs, which was formed uh, with the express purpose of trying to help Black people organize and get enough political power to elect one person to local government to help advocate for their needs. And they ultimately were so successful. You saw those organizations replicated in Charlotte. We have the Black Political Caucus in Bladen County in the 80s. It took the form of the Bladen County Improvement Association. And so, again, you see this is not new, this tension, right, over voting, over access to voting, over claims of, of trying to pass laws to make it harder for people to vote. And the, and the reactions and consequences continues to be organizing and education. Um, and that's exactly what we saw at the turn of the, of the century in the 1800s to the 1900s. And so history is repeating itself. Um, I am talking to uh, Nick uh, Oxner, the co-author of The Vote Collectors, the true story of the scamsters, politicians and preachers behind the nation's greatest electoral reform. We're going to take a, a short break now. And when we come back, Nick, I want to talk specifically about uh, that electoral fraud. Um, I introduced one of um, the sort of the anti-hero of the, of, of, of the story, but I want to get into the, 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 the nitty gritty uh, of uh, of that fraud. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Hi everyone, Andrew here again. 
I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keenon. And we are back with uh, Nick Oxner, the author of Vote Collector. So Nick, we talked briefly uh, in the first half about this character McCray Dowless, wonderfully named villain of your of, of 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 America's greatest electoral fraud. Let's fast forward. Is he the orchestrator of this fraud, McCray Dowless? He certainly is a big player in the fraud. Um, but like I, I said a little while ago, he actually learned what he knew from this other organization, the Bladen County Improvement Association. And then at some point after that black sheriff was elected, um, he moved over and started working primarily for Republicans. Um, and and so it, it kind of became in Bladen County, the black, uh, you know, organization, the Bladen County Improvement Association versus McCray Dallas and his folks kind of became the tension, white people versus black people, Democrats versus Republicans. But it's worth pointing out that that people in Bladen County, North Carolina, this is how they voted for better or for worse, legally or illegally. One of my favorite stories I always like to talk about is when I was first on the ground after this scandal broke open in December of 2018, a colleague of mine named David Hodges uh, uncovered a complaint filed with the Bladen County Board of Elections by a voter who called to complain because someone with the Improvement Association hadn't been by to collect his ballot. <laughs> That's ballot harvesting. And he filed a complaint with the Board of Elections about it. It's rather like the Nevada man uh, who, who pleads guilty to voting twice, having claimed evidence of election fraud. Um, but Nick, let's just, for, for, for viewers who and, and listeners who, who, who aren't familiar with this case, we're talking about a particular election, the 2018 election. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So this is the 2018 election in North Carolina's ninth congressional district. It features a Republican it's a national election. It's not a local election. Right. 
That's right, for U.S. Congress. Uh, and it features a Republican named Mark Harris and a Democrat named Dan McCready. Dan McCready, very moderate military veteran, um, you know, young, chiseled, good looks family. Uh, you know, you yes, yes, that's right. Had a central casting for modernizing centrist Democrats. And what about on the other side? hundred and ten percent. And and you know, um, this uh, a Democrat had not been elected in the ninth congressional district of North Carolina since like the '60s, and still hasn't since the '60s or so. But he was a formidable candidate, and ultimately, uh, the race was won by Republican Mark Harris by about 905 votes, more or less. Very, very, very close. Less Tell me about close. this Mark Harris character. Here we have a picture of him from the New Yorker crying, which seems quite probably appropriate on lots of levels. Yes, and that picture was taken as his son was testifying, giving testimony that was not helpful to him mm. uh, at, at the State Board of Elections hearing. So we have this election. It's very close. And the State Board, in a kind of surprise move, votes to not certify the race of the 9th Congressional District. They say there are some wrongdoing, some unspecified wrongdoing in, in southeastern North Carolina that they were going to investigate. And so began the kind of sprint to uncover what was or wasn't going on in Bladen County. And the narrative that emerged painted McCray Dallas as the kind of villain at the center of all this, of the controversy. He was working for Mark Harris, um, in the 2018 election against Dan McCready. And um, the Democrats had collected some affidavits from, from some voters, primarily black voters, that alleged that people working on behalf of McCray Dallas had gone around and, and collected some of their ballots, had done some other questionable things um, with their ballots, all surrounding absentee ballots. Uh, and, and so he has emerged as the central figure at the heart of this, he didn't do any public interviews in the wake of this. Uh, despite that, I managed to to get to know him, and he uh, and, and to get him to talk to me. And that really that relationship forms the basis of this book because we had access to him and his organization that no one else had. So why is this? You know, the, I don't know if you come up with the title that the greatest electoral fraud in the nation's history is it. Because it was so explicit, so um, so uh, vulgar. I mean, there have been many frauds in this country's uh, history uh, in electoral terms. What's so fraudulent about this particular example of, uh, you know, McRae himself? Again, there are lots of characters like him and lots of characters like, uh, like Harris. Um, I mean, it, it came to the attention of The New Yorker. They had a, a big piece uh, from 2019, the tearful drama of North Carolina's election fraud hearings. What is the significance, really, of this, of this fraud that you write about in The Vote Collectors, Nick? Well, so often, you're right. So often there's little one-offs or twos of people like the guy in Nevada who, you know, is caught voting twice. But rarely, if ever, has election fraud led to someone being elected as a member of Congress and not taking that seat. What ultimately happened is Mark Harris won on Election Day, but the State Board of Elections hearing into the 9th Congressional District ended with Mark Harris calling for a new election. He didn't get seated in Congress. And that's not happened in the modern political era. 
Um, and that's pretty significant. What's more significant, I think, as well, is the facts behind this and the fact and, and, and the, the simple truth that this was going on in Bladen County, both being perpetrated by McCray Dallas and by others in Bladen County, as we document in the book, and no one was doing anything about it. Uh, so everyone knew, was it a sort of almost like a, um, an unspoken truth that everyone knew about? It certainly felt that way. Like I said, I grew up in that area and I actually ignored the story by and large in the immediate aftermath of the State Board of Elections voting not to certify. I didn't think anything would come of it in 2016 in the 2016 election. Uh, our then Republican governor, Pat McCrory, had somewhat narrowly lost his reelection and he actually used McCray Dallas to file a complaint challenging a local race for the Soil and Water Conservation Board that McCray had won. He won an election to the board and McCray challenged the results of an election he won, alleging the Bladen Improvement Association had committed fraud and, and nothing publicly and immediately came of that. But this is there have been rumors for decades. When I was growing up, there were rumors that this is how in Bladen County and the surrounding counties that these kinds of shenanigans were going on and nothing was ever done about it. And after the 2016 election, the State Board of Elections didn't do anything immediately to McCray's in response to McCray's complaint for, for the then governor who lost his reelection. But they voted to investigate and make a criminal referral to state and federal officials. And so the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of North Carolina got a 300 plus page dossier dumped on his desk and a meeting with the State Board of Elections director and the general counsel for the State Board of Elections who pleaded with them. Here's 300 pages of really good stuff that we found people are likely violating the law and nothing happened. And in particular, nothing happened because that same U.S. attorney was going around trying to round up any evidence he could of, of immigrants voting illegally. And that ended with maybe a dozen or so people charged with low-level misdemeanor offenses and a handful of those people pleading guilty to low-level misdemeanor offenses, while at the same time he was ignoring this glaring evidence of widespread and rampant election fraud in Bladen County. Nick, um, a couple of weeks ago I had the Arizona Congressman uh, Ruben Gallego on the show. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. Uh, he was an uh, ex-Marine in, uh, in Iraq, and he's written a very emotional book about the catastrophe of Iraq and the catastrophe of various American misadventures overseas. At the beginning of this book, The Vote Collectors, you note that you've been driven to this story because of the death of your father, and I think it was 2005 in Afghanistan as a serving soldier. What is it about these overseas misadventures and this crisis of American democracy that are attached? And, 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 and talk a little bit about what has driven you to dedicate so much of your time to um, to telling this story and writing the book or co-writing the book, The Vote Collectors? Yeah, thanks for asking that. It's worth noting, uh, I should I should point out my father, Sergeant First Class Jim Oxner, was killed 16 years ago this past Monday was the anniversary of his death in Afghanistan, serving as a Green Beret. Uh, and, and that has driven me to write this book into really my whole career because my father died protecting American democracy and defending American democracy. And he- Well, supposedly, officially, whether he really was or not is another question. Oh, that's what he thought he was doing for sure. Right. That was the mission. He believed in that mission. Um, I wrote an essay about this uh, a couple months ago as, as we drew down uh, the final drawdown from Afghanistan. Uh, but that's a mission he believed in. And that's 
you know, whether he achieved his goal or not, that's what he died doing. And so it's important that I spend my time doing what I can to try to, to help preserve and defend that democracy. I'm not a soldier. I'm a reporter. But uh, I have a different way of doing that uh, and abilities to do that. And, and one of those things is by writing and really digging into what caused this scandal in 2018, because it wasn't an isolated incident. It wasn't one guy working for one candidate who did one thing. This book chronicles the 150 years of forces of history, of racism, of politics, of money, all these things and more that that clashed and combined in 2018 to result in a congressional race being thrown out. And it's important that we understand this outside of just the headlines that we saw at the time. It's great that you've told the story, Nick. Um, and I think it's an important book, uh, The Vote Collectors, the true story of the scamsters, politicians and preachers behind the nation's greatest electoral fraud. Anyone who cares about preserving American democracy needs to read a book like this. But what can ordinary people do? They can't write books about it. What can we all do um, to protect the integrity, the viability of American democracy, particularly as there are more and more accusations about the fraudulent nature of the system from both sides, but it seems particularly from from conservatives. Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest takeaway to me from this book is that what happened in Bladen County in North Carolina in 2018, one, could happen anywhere, certainly in any rural area, uh, and any marginalized part of our country it happened here in Bladen County, but it could happen any in any in any county in any state in, in America. But it happened because our systems failed. The systems that are supposed to be keeping things in check failed. And so any of us and all of us have a role to play in making sure these systems work, in being vigilant, in putting pressure on our lawmakers and our prosecutors and, and these, these people and our elected officials who we expect to be keeping a keen lookout and, a, and an eye on democracy. You know, again, the State Board of Elections was, was waving the red flag violently to say, look, guys, something's not right. And everyone else ignored it and wasn't paying attention. And we all have a part to play in making sure that these systems are working as they're supposed to. Well, I think that's an important message from uh, Nick uh, Oxner and his book, The Vote Collectors, the true story of the scamsters, politicians and preachers behind the nation's greatest electoral fraud is just out. I think it's a central reading, as I said, for anyone who cares about the future of American democracy. Nick, you're talking to me from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, um, in these strange times. What else, in addition to your book, should people be reading? Well, we uh, since we talked about the topic, I'd be remiss to not recommend uh, a great book called Wilmington's Lie by David Zucchino. It's about the Wilmington Massacre. It's eye-opening. Uh, you'll be interested to know I grew up in North Carolina and didn't actually learn about the Wilmington yeah. Massacre. Uh, and David Zucchino wrote a wonderful book that came Do out. you know him? Because I'd like to get him on the show. We've done... Uh, books about uh, the Tulsa massacre, about some massacres in uh, Arkansas, but this is another one. I'm sure every state has this terrible history of massacre of race of racial massacres. I don't actually know him. I'd like to know him. Uh, we we credit him and cite him some in our book. In our book, his came out while we were writing ours, and it was really helpful to telling the history of southeastern North Carolina. But it's powerful reading. Uh, it won the Pulitzer Prize for his work there, and, and it's essential reading, uh, especially right now, to, to learn about the forces that led to a coup on American soil.
Well, yours is a central reading too, Nick Oxner. Congratulations on the new book. And I'd love to have you back on the show. You're a, your day job is as a television reporter. You're the lead TV reporter uh, in, uh, in the southern part, I guess, of North Carolina, or perhaps in all of Northern California, uh, Northern Carolina. So uh, as we get to more and more crises about elections and fraud and politics, it'd be great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much, Nick. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for watching this Keenon show. I hope you were inspired in some way. I hope you found it interesting. And if you want more of these kinds of shows, you need to subscribe uh, to the podcast uh, on the Apple or or, or CastBox or Spotify platforms. All major podcast platforms carry the Keenon show. Or you can also watch live uh, on my Twitter page, uh, my LinkedIn network, uh, or on LitHub's uh, Facebook Live page. Um, I also hope you'll decide to follow me on Substack. Uh, I have uh, a newsletter on Substack in which I develop and expand on a lot of the themes we discuss in the uh, Keenon show. And I hope you'll also follow up with me personally, uh, perhaps uh, to give suggestions for future shows. You might email me at a.keen at me.com, or you may also email me with suggestions about potential guests. I'm very open, uh, very eager, in fact, to have requests, ideas of, of people with interesting new books and projects, which I need to talk about. So thanks so much again for, for, for watching Keen On. I'm thrilled that you're a member of our community and I'll look forward to hearing from you in the not too distant future.